So if you ever get the chance to go to the Berlin Museum, I don't know if anybody's been to Berlin before and been able to go to the museum. I have not. I'd love to. But there's this fascinating stone inscription. There's a picture we're going to throw up here on the screen uh, that's it's a little over 2,000 years old, and it's, it's, it's written in Greek, and it was found in the city of Priena, Turkey. Uh, anybody, can anybody read that right now for us? No? Nobody's been to that school, I guess? Um, it's called the Priena Calendar Inscription, and it's not a calendar itself, but rather it's, it's an inscription that's a directive for calendars. In fact, what it's saying is that, that what it's saying here should change the way all calendars should be made. Now, why is that? It's because there has been a birth. There has been a birth, and it describes in here, since anybody can read it, what it describes is it's the birth of a Savior, and this Savior would end all wars, would arrange all things, and because of his birth, there's good news. There's a gospel for the whole world. This gospel, this announcement of good news was so monumental to the world that what this, this inscription is actually saying is every calendar from this point forward should change to where the birth of this ruler, of this king, should be the beginning point of time. So, amazing inscription, amazing piece of history. Who do you think that's about? You would say Jesus, but it's actually written in reference to Caesar Augustus. It's actually written in 9 BC. It was written as this announcement that as he was born, now throughout all the Roman Empire, this new savior of the world, this new gospel, this good news of the arrival of this ruler changed everything. And the word they use, the word in this inscription, a word that was used very often in this context back in the day, was the word gospel. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word gospel. Maybe it's a set of religious doctrines that you uh, believe. Maybe it's a, a genre of music that you listen to. Or, or maybe it's just this idea of just sin and forgiveness uh, whatever the case, you've probably brought in here with you an idea that the gospel is something very specific and very religious. It has that sort of meaning to us. But in the time of Jesus, in the time around the time that this, this inscription was made, the term gospel, it meant something different. It wasn't not religious. It just wasn't religious in the same way we understand religion today. The word itself, gospel... It wasn't unique to Christianity. The Greek word is euangelion. Euangelion. No, I'm just kidding. It's evangelion, which is literally, it means good news. It's a pronouncement. In fact, in the context, it means a royal announcement of a king or ruler's arrival or the accomplishment that now changes the world. So if your king went out and won a great battle, they would send out this pronouncement, this announcement across all of the Roman Empire, this gospel that the king had triumphed, that a great battle had been won. Or if he was born, this new king has arrived. And this gospel, this good news is to be celebrated. 
So this is big stuff in Jesus' day. It's not just a religious statement. It's everything that you know has now changed in light of what just happened. In light of the one who's been born. In the light of the one who has won the victory. So today we're beginning this series called Good News People. And this whole series is all about the gospel. It's all about this announcement. But it's, it's not the gospel in the sense of this vague, religious, Americanized understanding of gospel. It's the gospel that they're talking about in the New Testament, in the time of New Testament. It's not the gospel that's simply focused on your afterlife and going to heaven or going to hell when you die. This is the gospel that is a royal announcement that changes the way we live our lives today. Because back then, if a king came and he won a victory over your former king, guess what? That's not just something that stays out there. You have a new authority you're living under, and guess what? Things are about to change. So it's not just news for my religious life. It's not just news for my spirituality. It's good news. It's a gospel for my whole life. And if this is true, I have to change the way I see the world around me. So 60 years after this calendar inscription we just saw, tradition places, the apostle Peter places him in Rome, and he's, he's helping lead the church, and he has a guy that's hanging out with him that's kind of his secretary, kind of his assistant, and his name is John Mark. And John Mark, uh, tradition holds, is the writer of the Gospel of Mark, the very first gospel we get in, uh, in time. It was the first one ever written. And, and Mark um, is, is said to have been essentially writing down the recollections of Peter. And so when you read the Gospel of Mark, this isn't just something that was written as an arbitrary witness many, many, many years later. Tradition holds that Mark's actually writing down Peter's thoughts. Isn't that cool? I love that. And so he begins his Gospel right in the middle of Rome. He's writing this in Rome. And here's the first sentence of Mark's Gospel. It says, The beginning of the good news, the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's how he begins the story of Jesus. And so we need to understand, friends, that this isn't just a polite religious story. Mark is doing something incredibly subversive here. It's like walking up onto the the lawn of the White House and saying, this is the story of Jesus, the President the ruler of America. This is incredibly subversive and incredibly powerful in what he's saying, that this is not just something that deals with with our afterlife and our spiritual life while the rest of life doesn't get touched. This is the good news of a new ruler, of someone Caesar can't even touch. It's big. This is the true king. This is the Lord over the world. There was a saying in Jesus' time. The saying about Caesar was that Caesar is Lord. You know what they kept saying throughout the New Testament in the writings? The saying that was the pronouncement of the gospel in the first century and beyond? Jesus is what? Lord. 
It didn't just mean that Jesus is Lord over my spirit, that Jesus is Lord over the entire universe. Jesus is Lord over all the kingdoms and rulers of the world. And later on in Mark 1, Jesus, as the story begins to unfold, announces this himself. Look at this in verse 14 of Mark 1. It says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Not a new religion, not a philosophy, but rather the arriving of a kingdom, and with the arriving of this kingdom, the arrival of a king. So when we talk about the gospel, friends, when we talk about good news We want to speak about this through the exact same lens. It's a royal announcement for us as well. If you want to sum up what the Christian gospel is, this is how I would sum it up on the screen. The gospel is the announcement that in Jesus' life and death and resurrection, God's restoring kingdom has arrived. That's why Mark refers to the totality of his book as the gospel. In all of Jesus' life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his reigning, God's kingdom has come to bear on earth as it is in heaven. It's Jesus' whole story. It's our whole story, our entire story, and it's the good news that we proclaim. And I know we don't use kingdom, uh, kingdom language in our modern days. In fact, we belong to a country that has prided itself on what? We had a kingdom, and guess what we did to that kingdom? We overthrew it. We said no kings and no kingdoms. We are the rulers. We want a democracy. We are the rulers ourselves as individuals. And so when we talk about kingdom, I get that you're not using that wordage. You're not using that, that, that framework every day. So it's important to kind of step back and remember and understand what kingdom actually means. Here's what, how Dallas Willard describes a kingdom. A kingdom is the range of the king's effective will. In other words, the kingdom is wherever the will and the desires of the king are fulfilled. It's the realm where what he wants done gets done. And so as you read the Gospels, it becomes clear that Jesus keeps talking about the kingdom. The kingdom is the central message that Jesus just doesn't stop talking about. He talks about it more than anything else, this kingdom of God. It's the realm in which God's will and reign is done. Think about it. Before the revolution in America, even though the king was not present in the 13 colonies, his will and his reign was done. And so he was still king, even though he was not present. And so in this world, wherever the will and the reign of God are present, the kingdom of God is present. And that's what Jesus is saying has arrived in him. So when he announces the gospel, this is, this is another reality. This is a new authority which stands in direct contrast to the authorities of his world in his day. And guess what? It stands in direct contrast to the authorities of our world today as well. The question we have to ask then is, is that what makes this 
good news. Why do we call it good news? If this is just the arrival of another king that's like the rest of the kings of the world, is he, is he any different than the Caesars? Is he any different than the presidents and the other dictators and rulers of this world that's happening right now? It matters, doesn't it, what type of king he is. It matters what type of kingdom is arriving because if it's just like the other kingdoms of this world, that's not good news, is it? It's not. So listen to how Jesus describes his kingdom. He does this in Luke chapter 4, and he's quoting the book of Isaiah. This is the beginning of his ministry in the, in the gospel, Luke. He says, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim, where's those words again, good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. How does Jesus define his gospel? How does Jesus give us a picture of the kingdom? He says it looks like the weak. It looks like the vulnerable. It looks like the poor. It looks like the broken and the blind and the oppressed. All those people set free. This is a gospel that instead of grabbing power from the powerless, this is a gospel that's about giving power to the powerless, empowering the powerless. A new kingdom has arrived that's not like the kingdoms of this world. The king of kings and the lord of lords is going straight for people like you and me to give us power from on high. That's good news, isn't it? Can we say that? Are we okay out there? That's good news. Remember that inscription from Caesar Augustus? It says he's, he's putting a, an end to all wars and arranging all things. Guys, how did Rome put an end to all wars? It's easy to put a, an end to all wars when you just kill everybody. And then all wars are over. And they called this the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, and they, they put forth this peace simply by oppressing and killing anyone that was in their way. And this is what Rome called the gospel, the good news that this powerful person would crush anyone in his way. His military might, his cruel oppression would stamp out any rebellion in its place, and then they call that peace. That's the good news if you're in power. That's the good news if you got a place with the emperor or the king or the ruler. It's good if you have connections, but for everyday people like us, for everyday people like the Jews in Jesus' day, it was not good news. You're standing right in the path of this Roman juggernaut, and you hear this word gospel, You're about to get stamped out. 
But the news that Jesus brings, he says, is good news to the poor, to the oppressed, to the outcast, to the weary. And it comes with power, but it doesn't come with the power of Caesar. It doesn't come with the power of the sword. It doesn't come with the powers of this world. Instead of conquering by killing our enemies and bringing peace, Jesus conquers by dying for his enemies and bringing real peace. You see, Rome's primary way of showing people in oppressed areas that they were empowered. Do you know how they did this? On the roads leading into the cities, they would crucify people. They would put up crosses, these Roman torture devices, and any insurrectionist, any person who decided they would rebel against Rome's power would be crucified, would strip naked, beaten, and nailed to a cross. And every day, the people would walk down these streets and see this visible sign that we are in power, and if you have anything to say about it, this is what's going to happen to you. And so, when Jesus is crucified to the Romans, it looked like victory. It looked like looking down at this little Jewish insurrectionist, this person called the king of the Jews, and says, you think you have power? You think you were a king? Let me show you what real power is. We will crucify you. We will humiliate you. We will kill you in the most demeaning and painful, slow, excruciating way possible to show you that we are powerful and you are powerless. And yet, friends, at the cross, that didn't happen, did it? That did not happen, did it? The opposite happened. Rome, Rome was turned on its head. The powers of this world were turned on its head. Look how Paul describes this in Colossians. I love this. It says, He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of illegal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it, to the cross. And listen to this. In having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's good news. Amen? The thing, the very thing that Rome was using to make a public spectacle out of people that challenged their power, the most powerless position in humanity is the very place that Jesus unleashed power to the poor, the powerless, the weak, the vulnerable, like you and like me. Dang, y'all. And this is why the kingdom is the arrival of good news that's not like the good news of the powerful the place of the powerless is now in the in the now in the center of of God's kingdom it's the place where they have been seated scripture says on high with the king it's good news because this power is not like the power of Rome it's not like the power of this world this power is the power we see and the cross, the cross reveals to us that the power of God's kingdom is expressed in and through self-giving, sacrificial 
love. Real power is cross-shaped power. Real power is love-shaped power. It's not a power that takes. It's a power that gives. It's not a power that is coercion. It's a power that is kindness. It's why in 1 John 3, it tells us this, that this is how, friends, we know what love is. Paul's right there. You will get told so many different definitions of what love is in this world that will try to reshape your imagination but let this truth in 1 John 3, verse 16, be your defining picture of what love is. It says, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And therefore, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. What does power look like in this kingdom? It looks like love. It looks like agape, self-giving, sacrificial love. Power in our kingdom, this kingdom of God that we are receiving, is shaped like a cross. And this is the good news we've been invited into. This good news that we've been invited to receive, this kingdom that receives and gives love, this kingdom where the love of God is offered to us, and that same love is offered to our brothers and sisters, that same love is offered to our neighbors, that same love is even offered to our enemies. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks like cross-shaped love. So how do we respond to that? Because an announcement like the gospel deserves a response, doesn't it? The gospel's not something, this announcement, that is good advice that we just think about and try to apply to our lives. Listen, friends, an announcement is something that's already taken place. And now it's our responsibility to respond to what's taking place. Mark 1.15 gives us what Jesus calls our response. He says, repent and believe the good news. You heard that right. Repent. <laughs> repent. And thou shalt be saved. That was my Charlton Heston there, sorry. Um, <laughs> That didn't work out for me. Uh, we can cut that out of the podcast later. Um, I don't know what your picture of repentance is. I'm sure it's not a good picture. I'm sure you think of people with picket signs and, and multicolored signs saying, repent, you're going to go to hell, you are terrible. Do you just picture when you hear the word repentance, you think of judgment. That's what most people associate this word. So when Jesus says repent, it's hard to disassociate this word repent from what our cultural understanding of this beautiful word is. This word that's actually so incredibly hopeful. Because what Jesus is saying is far more than just some sort of sense of judgment and condemnation. In fact, it's nothing like that at all. It's an incredibly hopeful invitation we're given. Brian Zond, he's a pastor, he says, repent is not the chide of finger-wagging moralism, but an invitation to rethink everything in light of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's the essence of repentance. Repentance is look what God has done. If this is true, I got to rethink everything. Because this changes the way I see the world. My whole life, my way of living, my understanding of reality. If Jesus got up out of the ground, 
everything's changed. That's what repentance means. It means in light of this good news, in light of this gospel, I'm turning and living and rethinking everything in light of this kingdom that's arrived. And so when we rid ourselves of this idea of condemnation associated with repentance and we've, that we've associated with it, we can finally see repentance for what it is. Repentance is an invitation It's this is what's available to you. And so leave behind the old way of thinking. Leave behind the old manner of seeing the world and rethink everything in light of Jesus and his kingdom. My friend Ben Sernke, he he puts it this way. He says, repentance is agreeing with God about reality. Think about that for a second. Repentance is agreeing with God about reality. That's it. It's, it's hearing what God says about what's real and true and saying yes to it. It's an inward shift, a change of perspective to align our minds with God's mind. It's moving from what I think about life to what God knows about life. You know, over time, as we continue to, to submit our lives to Jesus as King, we'll, we'll see these spaces in our lives that that don't align with the love of God, that don't align with the kingdom of God. So what do we do? We receive this invitation to repent. Not from condemnation of of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get better, but Jesus says, no, there's a better way. Realign your heart and your life around the love of God that's arriving in Jesus Christ. You see, that's why we gather here on a weekly basis. It's why we go to city groups. It's why we spend time together as a church family. Because I don't know about you, but there are weeks that are hard. There are weeks when the kingdoms and the powers and the principalities of this world are tearing my mind and my heart and my soul apart. They are bringing me out of alignment with the way of Jesus, with the way of love. And when we sing these songs and when we hear his word proclaimed, when we hear the good news, these moments of gathering together are a means by which our hearts can be realigned to the center of God's love for us. Am I the only one here that just gets a little off sometimes? Because I certainly do. I was thinking about it this week, about how I just felt off. I felt like, I don't know, there was a a sense of unrest within me, and I was like, I can't just wait to to come and to gather with a a family of of people with my city group and and my church home on Sunday morning because I need my mind and my heart outside of my reality to come under the authority and kingship of Jesus together with his brothers and his sisters, with his sons and his daughters of God right here. I need to know not only who I am, but whose I am. And being a good news people, it starts for us, friends, with not just knowing who we are, but it's rooted in whose we are, who we belong to, the kingdom that we do remember we belong to, because the kingdom of God, friends, is our primary residence in this world. This might make some people mad, but the kingdom of God takes precedent, my friends, over the kingdom of America. 
It should always take precedent over the kingdom of America. We remember when we gathered that our primary citizenship, that our primary identity is not our country, it's not our job, it's not our nationality, it's not our political party. We gather in spaces like this to remember that we belong to the cross-shaped kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we live from that as we go from this place. Amen? I need that. And I think you probably need it too. And so what I want to do is we take some time to respond as we do on a weekly basis. I pray this week that, that the idea of repentance being a, 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 a judgment or a condemnation to you would just pass away. And that you would finally and fully hear the invitation of Jesus to say, this is who I belong to. This is the kingdom of this cross-shaped love that now reconciles me to him, reconciles me to my brothers and sisters. And as I receive this today, Lord, realign my heart, reshape my heart to live under the authority of this kingdom of God, this kingdom of love. So Jesus, today, I ask that this gospel that we believe would grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in our hearts. Jesus, I pray that that these little trinket religions, these little Christian religions that, that distract us and pull us away and just give us good advice and even the religions of this world of spirituality and of politics and everything that is pulling for our attention and our affection on a daily basis may it crumble before the cross today give us a renewed sense of identity give us a renewed sense of purpose give us a renewed sense of belonging to a big and loving kingdom Thank you, Jesus, for the love that invites us. The love that says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name.